It was a long season of broken bones and broken hearts, both physically and emotionally. Wildfire literally seemed to chase me from April into early fall. It was one baffling gut punch after another. And somewhere in the midst of that wild ride of life towards the end of that year, I picked up my journal and my prayer book and I wrote down these words. How can a story as bizarre as this not be written to the glory of God. Well, there you are. 
and welcome to the most wonderful time of the year. Take a seat for a few moments at Redemption's Table. We just heard from one of my favorite singers, Ellie Holcomb, singing her 2014 Christmas song, Hope is Alive. And I would add to that, yes it is. And oh, how much we need it. For those of us who live in the Northern Hemisphere, I love the final four. And I'm not talking about basketball. I'm talking about the final four months of the year. We go from summer into autumn, into giving thanks, into Advent, into Christmas, and on into a new year. And here we are in Advent, the four weeks leading up to the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, who came to live among us and show us God's heart and lead us to recognize the voice of God again, and then to die for our sins, for all sin for all people, for all time, in order that we might have relationship with God. That's where we are in the story of our year, Advent. We are on an Advent tour. We are in an adventure, an adventure. And it is good to hear this story again because it's a doozy. Have you ever read a story or watched a story unfold on screen and your first reaction to it was, what? What was that about? That was weird. I don't get it. And then we either dismiss what we don't understand or the story continues to circle around in our thoughts, causing us to ponder and to wonder. Some of us have heard the story of the birth of Jesus since childhood, and it's up there in our thoughts this time of year, along with the Grinch, Ebenezer Scrooge, and good old Charlie Brown. Perhaps we are even so familiar with it that we don't hear it anymore. Not really. It's a bizarre story. I encourage you, reread it. Find a different translation of Matthew chapter 1 and 2, Luke chapter 1 and 2, and see what grabs your attention with a fresh reading. Read it from Eugene Peterson's The Message or Sally Lloyd-Jones's The Jesus Storybook Bible. Listen to the first part of Handel's Messiah or go live stream Andrew Peterson's Behold the Lamb of God. Let this story bizarre reclaim you. Pray. Ask God. Ask Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal something to you about his story that you never noticed before. Since the holiday season began, I keep stumbling across G.K. Chesterton quotes. Here's one from three days ago. The great majority of people will go on observing forms that cannot be explained. They will keep Christmas Day with Christmas gifts and Christmas benedictions. They will continue to do it and someday suddenly wake up and discover why. My wish for every one of us who are at the table today would be to experience that someday this December. Yesterday I was out for an early morning walk I put the aforementioned Behold the Lamb of God on Spotify, and I listened as I walked. Midway through, Andrew Peterson sings a song called Matthew's Begats. 
it is right out of the first 17 verses of the Gospel of Matthew, is the genealogy of Jesus through Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, who was not Jesus' real father. God was. God planted the seed in Mary's womb. It's known as the Immaculate Conception in the Catholic Church. The Apostles' Creed says it this way. He, Jesus, was born of the Virgin Mary. That in itself establishes the Christmas story as the story bizarre. That may even be an understatement. Jesus was miraculously conceived. Every conception is a miracle, but Jesus' was even more so. A virgin birth has only happened once. But back to the begats. As I listened to Jesus' family tree being sung, I was reminded all over again that Jesus, the Lamb who has come to take away the sin of the world, had a lot of black sheep in his earthly father's flock. The same could be said when you trace his bloodline through Mary, which is in the latter part of Luke chapter 3. Matthew 1 verse 2 says, Abraham, stop, right there, Abraham, stop. Yes, Abe had great faith, but he and his wife Sarah didn't wait on God. They tried to help God fulfill the promise God had given them. Abraham had faith, but he also had doubts. Abraham, goes on to say, was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Stop! Jacob was a deceiver, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Stop! Judah and his brothers threw their little brother Joseph into a pit. Now, Judah was not the firstborn. He was the fourthborn. And when they threw Joseph into the pit, the brothers intended to just kill him. But Judah suggested, hey, let's don't kill little brother. Let's make a profit. So they sold Joseph into slavery where he was trafficked down into Egypt. Wow. We're just getting started. And we quickly notice these guys in Jesus's lineage were not saints, not by a long shot. As I heard the whole list sung, I thought, I don't even like some of these people, or I don't like certain seasons in their lives. Skip on down to verse 6. It says, And Jesse was the father of David the king. Stop. Yes, David had a fantastic start. His five-stone bout with Goliath is legendary. He was the MVP of Israel. He wrote a lot of number one psalms. If he had gone on tour, he would have sold more tickets than Taylor Swift. He has a reputation to this day of being a man after God's own heart, which was great until he wasn't. He stole another man's wife, did a little begatting of his own, tried to cover it up, but when Uriah, the husband, would not comply with David's setup, David had him murdered. Uriah was one of David's main fighting men. David betrayed Uriah's trust. David did to Uriah what Judas did to Jesus. And there he is in Jesus' lineage. But then there's the subtle note of grace. As it says, And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. That's redemption. That's who God is. 
That's what God does. He takes this whole good and brutal brood of sinners who are just like us, and through this family line, brings a Redeemer into our world to rescue and restore all the rest of us who come from family trees just as dysfunctional as his own. Lamentations 3, 21 through 24, the prophet Jeremiah shifted gears from despair to hope when he declared, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The story of Jesus' birth we hear read this time of year is the story bizarre. Have you read the four Gospels lately? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? The story bizarre. From the time Jesus came into our world until the time we thought we carried him out of it and rolled a stone over the door, the story bizarre. Three days later, he walked among us again as if to say, you thought my bizarre story was over? Oh no, it's only just beginning. I have a question for you. Would you describe your life up until this moment as the story bizarre? God is still very much at work in all of our lives in ways he sometimes allows us to see, but often in ways that have yet to be revealed. And for those of us who live in the United States at a time when we have known great abundance most all of our lives, at a time when there is a new technological gadget announced around the corner of every week, when medical advances are at their height, when we are wallowing in blessing upon blessing upon blessing, I wonder if we have not somehow bought into the lie that life is supposed to be Pinterest perfect. Are we trying to craft our own story perfect in denial of our own version of the story bizarre. Jesus was born into our real world. God created our real world. The things he did and the truths he wrote down for us to read take place in the real world. The story real is also the story bizarre. 2011 was the year that Bazaar planted itself upon my front doorstep and leaned on the doorbell all year long. It was a long season of broken bones and broken hearts, both physically and emotionally. Wildfire literally seemed to chase me from April into early fall. It was one baffling gut punch after another. And somewhere in the midst of that wild ride of life, Towards the end of the year, I, I picked up my journal and my prayer book, and I wrote down these words. How can a story as bizarre as this not be written to the glory of God? Every year when I begin a new prayer book, that question is included on the final page. 
And in 12 years' time, I have witnessed God reveal a few answers to my questions. But ultimately, I still live in the hope that the answer to that question is waiting yet to be more fully and gloriously revealed to the glory of God. Jesus came down from heaven and stepped into our story. That's why his story is so bizarre. We had made a mess of the story God had given us, turning everything right into a wrong and claiming everything wrong was perfectly normal and okay. We're still doing that. So Jesus entered in to turn right side up all that we had flipped upside down and called it good. And he's still doing that. So wherever our individual bizarre stories have brought us here near the end of 2023, I want to leave us with a quote from Henry Blackaby, author of the book Experiencing God. Blackaby writes, You never know the truth of any situation until you have heard from Jesus. Never determine the truth of a situation only by looking at the circumstances. Don't evaluate your situation until you have heard from Jesus. He is truth. Well, that brings us to the end of today. Thank you for joining us here at the table. Hope to see you again next week. And until then, hope is a lot. Sky.